Welcome to Influence Me, a series of podcasts where the prime focus is leadership. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short, and I'm going to be hosting a series of podcasts where I get to interview a variety of guests, both internal and external to QFES. The topic is something extremely important to us, and one that is central to the success of QFES. I want to talk with these guests about leadership, and I want to learn more about leadership from the thoughts and experiences of others. I want to be influenced. Assistant Commissioner Joanne Crampton joined the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in 1988. As a non-commissioned officer, she worked in the areas of drugs, intelligence, covert operations and frontline policing in Aboriginal, municipal and rural communities. And she was an instructor and training coordinator at the Training Academy. In 2008, she received her commission to Halifax, Nova Scotia, where she worked as the executive officer and officer in charge of operations for Halifax District. She was later appointed as the divisional intelligence officer for Nova Scotia, responsible for the intelligence program as well as several support units, such as national security, technological crime and covert operations. In 2013, Joanne was promoted to Prince Edward Island as the officer in charge of criminal operations, later advancing to the position of a commanding officer. In 2017, she was promoted to Ottawa, where she was responsible for federal policing, criminal operations, overseeing serious and organised crime, financial crime, border integrity, human trafficking and cybercrime at a national and international level. Joanne has a Honours Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and has attended the Harvard Kennedy School of Executive Education. She has received the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Long Service and Good Conduct Medal, a commanding officer's commendation, and in 2015 was appointed as a member of the Order of Merit of the Police Officers. She retired from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in April 2019, and it's such a pleasure to have her with me today. So welcome, Joanne, to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. It's an honour to be here. Looking at your bio, over 30 years of service and you recently retired, I imagine that you've seen a lot and learnt a lot over those years. Yeah, it's been a really fantastic career. I feel honoured to have had the opportunity to work with the RCMP and with so many great people. Exactly. Great people, both in the communities we serve and and also within our organisations. Now, talking about uh, great people and the things that we uh, ideally should be considered on mental health Mm -hmm. is something that I'd like to talk to you today about. You're aware through our discussion we had offline uh, that in 2018, Beyond Blue, who's an organisation in Australia who promotes and advocates for improved mental health, they released a a report which was uh, titled Answering the Call, which is very much about police and emergency service operators or practitioners. And it was an interesting report. I'm going to go through a couple of statistics which come out of that report. The report showed that one in three emergency service workers experienced high or very high psychological distress. So one in three. And that's interesting because for the your average Australian, it's one in eight. So it shows that it's different. The second stat I'll just touch on is, is about the suicide. And, and certainly we know through that report, people who work in the police and emergency service sector uh, are, are twice as likely to experience suicidal thoughts and indeed three times likely to form a, a plan to that mm-hmm. to that effect. So what do those statistics say to you? And I'd be interested in understanding the Canadian context. So I looked at that report um, after we had discussed it and I was 
surprised and I guess not surprised to see that it was very similar to Canadian statistics as well. I found it a very good read uh, to go through and we had a similar report done in Canada with respect to the RCMP and then also policing and first, uh, first responders in general. Unfortunately, uh, we had the same issues, the same or similar statistics. I can't quote the statistics off the top of my head, but I know they are very similar. One piece I found very interesting in your report was on stigma and the percentage of people who felt that the stigma was uh, important for them, but yet didn't feel it important when they look at other people. Um, yeah, and I, found, I find that very interesting. It's like they're working through two different thinking, thought processes yes. to arrive at that. Or seeing the world through two different lenses. Yeah. And I don't recall seeing that in the Canadian study. Um, but I found that quite remarkable. And I think, I think everyone needs to know that. And I think first responders need to know that. That the stigma is really their own and not their coworkers or their peers or their supervisors. And I think that's a big piece going forward that we need to look at in looking at solutions and looking at rolling out programs and, and how we're dealing with mental health issues. Because really the stigma is internal. It's not within the organization necessarily. Yeah, and hence why... Even in our own efforts to uh, provide people with a pathway or, or to be able to help them, that person putting up their hand at the right time is so important to capture that yes. very group who uh, have internalised, um, maybe very concerned about being seen to be weak. I'm not sure what the Canadian culture is like, but certainly the Australian culture, mm -hmm. there's an element of you should be able to be tough mm -hmm. and, and get through it. Yeah. Does that play out in Canada at all? It does, and but we've also done a lot of work to counteract that that message and that way of thinking. Um, it's been a huge focus in our training. We've uh, rolled out within the RCMP. We've rolled out uh, the road to mental readiness. We've also rolled out um, first aid, like you've mentioned, um, mental health first aid. Uh, so I'm believing it's a similar program to what we've spoken about. And you know, those programs are very focused. In particular, the road to mental readiness is focused on self-care, identifying yourself, also identifying um, issues in coworkers or um, peers, but a lot of it is identifying issues that you're dealing with yourself. So in thinking about that stigma piece, I'm hoping that that training that we've provided will make a difference. People have self-identified since then. When I was speaking with a psychologist uh, at my last posting, um, she came to me to let me know that since rolling out that training, her increase in workload had been significant and that a lot of people were coming to her sooner than they were previously because they were starting to see the red flags. Yeah. As opposed to waiting till that red flag is flying and it's yeah. really late, yeah. they were now coming ahead of time. There's probably a little lesson here for executive leadership. Uh, and, I'm, and I understand that that very reaction where you get an increase in connections or people yeah. reaching out yeah. as being a natural consequence of um, taking steps through proactive programs. Right. And I am aware that in some agencies, you know, that's met with quite a lot of concern initially mm -hmm. by executive leadership because oh. they think, oh, we, it's getting worse. It's, it's getting, oh, no. whereas it's quite healthy. It's the opposite. It's the opposite, yes. I think it's the opposite. Yeah. And I agree. And I was, I was thrilled when she told me that. And so was she to yeah. say no. because, And I think a big measure of that is that the people were coming before uh, things were getting out of hand for them. And yeah. that it was before, uh, you know, the red flag was already flying, as I mentioned. It was just starting to tweak to them to go to say to themselves, I think 
something's happening and I think I need to talk to somebody. Which is, which is it's incredibly good. Given that this podcast series is about leadership, mm-hmm. I believe that leaders, whether they're a formal leader or people who serve in the organisations, there's a leadership opportunity for them to help improve mental health in foreign emergency services. Absolutely. And I think it goes back somewhat to that training as well, where we are giving people the tools and empowering them to look around, to look at their peers, look at uh, the coworkers, and step up when they do see something happening or they do recognize a behavior in someone that just isn't quite right. I think it's a leadership role that everyone needs to take within the organization, no matter what their, their role is their position, their rank, uh, or where they work within the organisation. The notion that uh, effective teams, particularly uh, people within those teams, because the team uh, is working quite well, I would imagine that they would pick up on changes pretty quickly. I think they do, Um, especially, like as you mentioned, if they're a close team. Sometimes I think that can be counteractive though too because then people won't identify because they feel they could be letting down their their close friends, peers, they could be letting them down. Um, But that's where that leadership piece comes in on that team where the other members of the team would hopefully step up and once the change is identified would approach that person. Yes, I I totally totally agree. The, um, The issue around... Uh, yeah, there's a view that maybe this is a bit old school that uh, people think that if it's a personal issue, a private issue, that's nothing to do with them. Uh, it's nothing to do with the organisation. Whereas possibly we're missing an opportunity to uh, engage with someone. So what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's um, it's really easy to open a door when you're speaking to someone just to say, hey, is everything Okay. And then it gives them an opportunity to decide whether they do want to speak about their personal life or something's happening. And a lot of times we can see issues in the workplace that are actually related to home. And so the two are very intertwined, especially in frontline emergency service workers, where we end up sort of blending our personal and home lives. We're taking phone calls at home. We're Um, being called out uh, to duty if there's an issue, a significant issue, or you may be on call. So it really does blend into your personal life. So I think the two overlap, whether we like it or not. And I think that's something we need to consider that um, you don't need to intrude in somebody's life by asking personal questions, but just opening that door to say, hey, is everything okay? Or you seem a little off today. Is everything all right? And let them decide where they want to go with that. The, the uh, issue around organisations, and this is not uncommon in, in emergency services, who have a blend of paid staff or career uh, people, and they've got volunteers as well. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts about how these principles may apply, whether it's different for those groups or is it the same? What do you think? Right. So we have a lot of volunteers in our organisation. And I don't think we could function without our volunteers. They're a big base. And I certainly know in the fire, that's a huge base uh, for your support system and for frontline workers. Yeah, for us, it's fire plus uh, emergency services, more broad in terms right. of storms and cyclones. Oh, right. Cyclone is a hurricane in your hurricane, language. Yes. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so very good point. Um, and I think in the past, that's really an area where we've fallen down and looking after our volunteers and recognizing that 
they could be going through exactly the same things we are. Uh, it is an area we're focusing on and we're definitely getting better at and now recognizing the need to include um, all of those volunteer people in our in our training and in areas like that. So in our consideration and our thinking. Yeah. Exactly. Now, the, going back to the Beyond Blue uh, answering the call mm -hmm. report, one of the big findings that came out of it, which caught a lot of people by surprise, was that the researchers formed a view that poor workplace practice and culture can be as damaging to mental health as occupational trauma. Now, I, I, I didn't see that coming, mm. but then I thought about it. I thought, yeah, yeah when, when we've got problems with our culture, the yeah. impact on that is substantial. What's your thoughts about that? Mm. It didn't surprise me at all. Okay. Not at all. And I guess I've seen firsthand the damage that harassment and poor workplace culture can create. And I've seen people suffer PTSD as a result of a bad workplace, feeling bullied, feeling harassed, feeling um, not worthy or or being picked on, all of those behaviors. I see it as an issue not just in uh, frontline services, but also in private sector. So we're not, we're not an anomaly, but I do think uh, we have a high amount of harassment uh, issues that can create mental health issues. Yeah, it's a, it's a clear flow, flow and effect. Now, we'll just, um, what we're going to do now is to, to wrap this up. And I've really enjoyed this, this talk. I'm going to provide you five questions. And this is something I do every podcast. And some of the questions are quite interesting. But certainly, um, if you're happy, we'll have a go. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Joanne. Here's the five questions. The first question is, what do you wish you really understood? Well, I think if I were to put some thoughts around that, it would be around harassment. Uh, to really understand why people feel the need to bully others and why we still have it happening. We've worked so hard to try and eliminate it, and yet it still persists, and it's still an issue for us. Yeah, lots of unfinished business there. Yeah. Uh, second question, what do you wish that other people understood about you? I guess when I think of that question, I think of introverts. And uh, I just had a discussion with someone about introverts, and I am an introvert. And I think that um, there's a general misunderstanding of introverts often in the workplace, especially in a, in a work culture such as policing, where it's very driven, a lot of driven people, very um, type A type personalities. Yeah, yeah. And uh, sometimes the introverts get overlooked. Introverts sometimes don't always have a voice in those rooms. It's important that I think we take the time to give uh, introverts the voice. And going back to our discussion about mental health, there's probably mm -hmm. some clear aspects for introverts. That's a good uh, point. Yeah, in That's terms of... That's a very of, good point. Yeah, maybe they... And I've not done the research, and, but I'm sure there'll be research there about this. Now, the next question is, what's the strangest question anyone's ever asked you? That's a tough one. It is a tough one, isn't it? It is. I thought of... Um, when I was really junior in my service, I showed up at a break and enter. I was on my own. I was a brand new baby officer and I showed up. It was at a greenhouse and um, I went into the business and the man looked at me and went, well, who the heck sent you here? And I said, well, I received a call. You had a break and enter. And he said, but who said they would send a woman? I don't want some woman. I said, well, I can leave then. And I started to turn around and leave. And what happened then? Did he, did he say, oh, no, no, no. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he decided he did want to The need was great for that person. It was. I thought that was a strange question. Oh, that is a, a face value. Uh, now, the next question is, what type of leader do you prefer? 
I prefer an authentic leader. I prefer someone who is open, transparent, genuine, and someone who's compassionate. They pay attention to their employees and they listen to them. And I would imagine that that type of leader in terms of mental health mm. in an organization would be value-adding. Exactly, someone who leads from the heart. Final question, how do you prefer to deliver bad news? Now, I asked this question because being a leader, uh, you get to do some wonderful stuff, or mm -hmm. to be a former leader, just to put it in context. But you also have to do some difficult stuff. So the question is, right. how do you prefer to deliver bad news in person, by text message, or by carrier pigeon? Well, a carrier pigeon would be a great thing, but I would rather do it in person. Yeah, and, I, and imagine over the years you've learned uh, how to, it doesn't probably make it any easier, but you've probably learned how to structure that and prepare yourself absolutely. for that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, we got through. That's it. Well, thank um, you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. And the last thing I want to do is thank you for your service. Well, thank you. That's very kind. And I look forward to hearing about your next chapter of your life, whatever that might be. Well, thank you. Okay. Thanks, Joanne. Bye-bye.